0: The Interim Leader podcast is brought to you by Odgers Interim, the UK's number one interim management provider. Hi, everyone. I'm Bambo Siraclius, head of the media and entertainment practice at Odgers Interim, Now welcome to Career Stories, our brand new podcast series that explores the journeys of senior execs that work across our different industries. For our first episode, I'm delighted to welcome Philip Luff, who's 30 plus years within media. have seen him lead businesses for the likes of Liberty Global, Discovery and the Scripps Network. Philip, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Episode one of the new podcast and delighted to have you uh, as guest number one. But I don't know if you know this. You were you were the first person I met when I took on the media and entertainment brief for uh interim way back when. So there's some quite nice synergy there.
1: Could you not find anyone else? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you were you were definitely first choice, Philip. Definitely first choice. It's,
1: it's a shame that my diary was so open. <laughs> <laughs> but it was we're off to a good start. So we've we are. Uh, we've had a good relationship since then.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So when I when I did did meet you first off. You were you were still heading up scripts uh, for for UK uh, and, and Europe, and I think it was probably six or seven months after that that the whole deal with Discovery was was finalised. And I think probably a few months after that that you then left and, and, and decided to follow a different path. And I wanted to kind of start off by speaking about that, if that's if that's okay, because a lot of um, people that I'm speaking to at the moment are in a similar circumstance. Mm finding themselves out of um, a permanent role and potentially at a cross crossroads and looking at different things. So how was it for you around that time and, and what have you been doing since?
1: Uh, yeah, I actually remember our meeting and uh, you'll remember our lovely office in, uh, in Buckingham Palace Road. You know, we, had, we had fantastic offices, a great team. Business was buzzing. Uh, and so yeah the uh, the fact that um you know the merger with discovery happens uh, I mean it took a while so it took it took uh, several months really before any of the real impacts were felt. and I have to say at the time, uh, I was sort of fairly confident that you know I might just step into another sort of similar operational role and it was only, uh, you know, after about six months of enjoying a holiday and some time off, that uh, I realized the world was changing dramatically. You know, the media landscape was changing dramatically. And uh, it was, A, probably unlikely I would get another sort of similar role. But, B, actually, you know, um, I had a lot of skills that I hadn't used for many years. And, and becoming a consultant um, or, you know, a strategic advisor to, to, to clients um, soon made me realize how much I actually knew. It's a weird thing. When, when you're doing sort of a similar job or you know your, your company and your culture and your, your teams really well, it's, it's a, it's, it's, I think you get into a little bit of a safe place. And, I mean, that's a strange thing to say with companies like Discovery where they're constantly transforming, restructuring. Um, but you kind of, we kind of got used to that in itself so i coming out the other side i think i was actually very well um prepared for for the life of consultancy and for change because we were so used to it within within the company
0: Mm. and what type of consultancy projects are you working on at the moment
1: so um, initially you know i was pitching a lot i mean meeting a lot of a lot of my network did a little bit of work for disney in the in my early days um their sort of m a team uh, we're looking for some direction ahead of the Fox merger, and I did a little bit of work for them then, which which really is interesting to watch. You know, the rollout of things like Star now because it sort of came out of mm. those early days. Um, I did some work for Palmer Pictures, so in, independent production company, um, who've done some amazing work on things like The Night Manager and The Crown, and uh, they've been pivoting into becoming a more originals player as well. Um, Water Bear Network. So my friends at Off the Fence, Ellen Windermut and her team. Um, you know, Ellen sold Off the Fence, which was a an independent production and distribution company in the natural history space. She sold that to ZDF, and then together with ZDF and some strategic investors. Uh, she's launched Water Bear Network, um, which, is a, which was a wonderful project to be involved in. I'm, I'm less involved now that it's up and running and, and launched, but I um, sort of worked with Ellen and her team for a couple of years you know, on the business plan, um, raising finance, et cetera. Um, and then at the moment, I'm mostly working with um, Simon Walker at, at Maidthorne and particularly um, on Marquee TV, so streaming service for the performing arts. Uh, and also with flame, which is an Australian based, um, distribution company sort of in the factual space. And, and so my, my work is quite varied, actually, you know, one, one minute I'm helping raise finance the next minute on strategy and next minute, literally, um, just before Christmas, I was in the envy, uh, post-production studio working with Bill Nighy on some narration for flame. And that was. Uh, you know a day i'll never forget i'm 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 in awe of bill nahi i think he's amazing so to yeah. spend a day with him in the studios in the middle of lockdown was quite incredible <laughs> and can you see yourself going back to a permanent role i will yeah i mean never say never it would i mean i think over over the years i've learned to be very careful about culture um uh, only because I was I was quite spoilt for most of my career, I think, because um, I, I, I happened, I think, to work for companies that had a great culture and were really focused on, on culture and leadership and, and development and learning. And I mean, all, all the things that people talk about these days. I think I've actually been very, very lucky. Um, you know, diversity and inclusion. I mean, most of the firms and companies I've worked for. Very dedicated to things like that from from scratch. So, I, I think the most in, important thing for me at this stage of my career is really the culture of the organisation and who I'm actually working with directly, or my leader. Um, they're the two most critical things. I think my skill set is pretty broad. I could probably turn my hand to most things. Um, so, I'll never say never, but I'm quite happy at the moment.
0: You mentioned the the. The broad skill set and what I didn't know until recently is that it wasn't always media for you so oh. take us <laughs> take us back to take us back to the beginning but how, how did how did you get into the world of media what did you do well, before
1: with, without yeah without telling you my whole life story I mean I, <laughs> I, I I grew up on a farm in New South Wales Australia which and I was I think sixth generation on that farm uh, my, my parents were farmers Uh, And so I had no idea what to do with my life. I knew I wasn't going to be a farmer. I was always uh, with my head in a book or watching television. Uh, And so I knew that my future was different to that. So I really struggled at the beginning to know what to do. I did really well at school. And so my final year, I got fantastic marks. And so I decided to go into dentistry. This is something you probably don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I actually went to Sydney University to study dentistry uh, because it was the highest thing I could get into. And I think it took me a month to realize I was never going to be a dentist. I, um, I just didn't fit a white coat. It didn't suit me. And, um, and I'm not talking fashion. I was just, I just wasn't meant to be a dentist and, uh, I pivoted into doing an arts degree, which then led to a law degree. And so I ended up, you know, after six years of study, I became a lawyer quite by accident. And, um, my initial experience of the law wasn't wasn't great. I mean, it was a great job, well paid. You know, going into an office with some really smart people, but I just wasn't geared to be a lawyer, and um, uh, made the switch into media just by happenstance, really. I, I mean, I a friend of mine who was working in the same law firm at Gilbert and Tobin, in Sydney, uh, we both agreed that we should be doing something else, and we made a pact um this was my friend sam moston um we we agreed that whoever is the first to get out uh had to help the other one out they had a lifelong obligation to get the other one out sam was offered a role as the communications advisor to the prime minister of australia (laughs) not a bad first step (laughs) um and then as a result of that was offered lots of roles and uh, she mentioned one to me and uh I, i got that job and i became commercial manager liberty global when they were launching fox sports in australia so um that was my first segue into media in 1994.
0: wow and were you a sports fan at, at the time i mean was it was it something I grew, that you were up,
1: interested? I grew up yeah in a sporting family and i was a bit of an athlete and a bit of a swimmer um but you know i wasn't really a team sportsman you know my my dad uh was an amazing sportsman amateur sportsman but fantastic played golf Cricket, tennis, bowls, you name it. He did it and did it exceptionally well. Our house was full of trophies. And my cousin, Francis, played Wimbledon. Um, my my cousin, Jerry, was a, a, a pro golf player. Um, but I was not destined to be a pro sports person. And it wasn't really the sports that attracted me. It was the, it was the media, the television side, and actually being involved in the decision process around Putting a channel together and hiring people and doing deals with you know companies like the IOC, um, it was it was a great experience. We we literally launched a live sports channel in less than four months. It was I, quite an intense process.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to ask. So, so take me back to the mid mid nineties and, and the media <laughs> landscape. And you know, how just how different was it back then?
1: So in in those days in australia you essentially had free-to-air television and you know you had the abc channels you know seven nine and ten uh sbs had just kind of started out um uh, and actually we used to call it sex between soccer um because they had sort of foreign foreign movies um and and football uh so that was the nickname for sbs in those days and and you know, when when I was approached to work for a subscription television channel, no one knew, really knew what that meant. You know, I had to sort of do a bit of research with my friends in America and, and say, what is this thing called subscription television? And they, oh, no, it's going to be it's going to be huge.
0: Wow. So so you spent um, three, four years with with Fox before moving on?
1: Yeah, so uh, originally working for Liberty Media and then, um, you know, as things happen in the media world, you know, one day, I think uh, Rupert Murdoch sat down with John Malone, they had lunch and they carved up the world and, and suddenly I was owned by News Corp. And uh, so I continued to work for News Corp for about three years and then Liberty came knocking on the door again, <laughs> um, Bruce Mann and John Porter uh, at Liberty at AusStar. Uh, in Australia and uh, I, I went to work for them just as I were about to do an IPO. So my role was really managing all the external, you know, programming relationships and and eventually working on original production as well.
0: That's, that's one thing which has um, always made me chuckle when we've spoken about your career before that the same names seem to crop up uh, time and time again. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I think the world is kind of divided up amongst a few, isn't it? In that yeah. in that world, particularly, and uh, and I mean, to John Malone's credit, uh, he has fingers in many pies. I mean, we know here in the UK, um, you know, not only does he have Virgin Media, um, a share in all three media, uh, and a number of other things, including obviously, um, you know, Discovery. Uh, I mean, fingers in many pies, and so it's kind of And actually, you know, Liberty is a fantastic place to work, very loyal to their staff, um, a lot of dedication to learning and development. So I had a a fantastic period with them.
0: You mentioned Discovery there. And am I right in saying that Discovery was the first opportunity you got to move out of Australia and experience different countries and different media landscapes?
1: Yes. So, um so I was approached by Discovery. I was a, a client of Discoveries, uh, you know, at, at Ozstar. So we, you know, I knew the team at Discovery very well. Um, and Tom keevney was the was the sort of head of commercial uh, for Asia Pacific at the time and and offered me the role to to run Australia and New Zealand. Um, but as a result of that, um, there are other opportunities came up and, and one was to um, work in Japan. So that was... That was an interesting one because I'd never really considered Japan. Um, I thought maybe America or UK, but, um, you know, I said, look, I've I've never even been to Japan. Uh, I don't speak Japanese. I don't know anything about the market. And they said, no, we, we think you do a great job. So um, I moved to Japan, (laughs) learned Japanese. I mean, my Japanese is not fluent by any means, but I did, I did manage to have meetings, you know, in Japanese and, uh, it was quite an incredible experience.
0: You mentioned culture before. So so what was the culture like in Japan?
1: Well, very different. Uh, but it made me realize uh, as I moved around the world in various roles that I think most countries think that they're special and <laughs> that uh, they don't like any other culture coming in and telling them how to do things. So in particular in Japan, I think it because of its history, it's culture. It was very closed, you know, culturally a, a, away from the rest of the world for a long time. And it's a very sort of it was, at least at that point, a very homogenous society. Um, and that was very striking for me coming from Australia and having spent quite a bit of time in America as well. That You know, you see a lot of diversity. And then t- to live in Japan, it's very homogenous. And I stuck out like a sore thumb because, you know, I'm this... Tall white guy um, who doesn't speak Japanese, and so everyone knew who I was, um, but I, I had to make you know, a real effort to remember everybody's names and how they fitted in, um, and you know I, I had a great time. I mean, I was working with Miranda Curtis, you know, from Liberty Global. He was on the board of, of a number of the companies in Japan. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Mark Hollinger, Dawn McCall from Discovery, but also working with the BBC because I ran Animal Planet, which was a joint venture with the BBC. So, Darren Childs, Olga Eldridge. Uh, I mean, a brilliant time for me, but culturally very, very challenging. The 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 key I think I found that you know was that nothing happened overnight. You had to really put the effort in to develop relationships. Uh, you know, engender trust. Uh, before you actually started advising or recommending anything, you really had to learn the ropes and get to know everybody and who who are the stakeholders, who are the decision-makers, who has the control over the decisions. That was the key thing there.
0: Yeah. And did you go back to Australia after that, or was that when the journey to London and, and Moscow?
1: So, no, that then I was asked by Dawn McCall if I would take on Animal Planet International in London. So I moved yeah. from Japan to London. So, again, another big cultural shift um uh yeah I mean I just I was just thinking back to the day I arrived in London it was my my visa kicked in on the 1st of January 2007 and we arrived the morning of the 1st of January and it was miserable <laughs> Um I mean you know the the climate in Japan is is very you know diverse you know winters can be freezing cold but the skies are usually blue so to actually move to a country where as you know <laughs> It was very bleak and very gray uh, i'm like what the hell have i done <laughs> <laughs> and then off to off to moscow well it took a while i mean interestingly when i moved to london initially with with discovery my role was with animal planet and then that role was made redundant i i left discovery in 2009 i did some consulting work with dawn mccall um, and her and her firm international media entertainment partners and, um, and and then got the call back by Discovery saying, would you, would you come back to Discovery and run Central Europe? So I actually moved back to Poland. I moved into Warsaw uh, and uh, took over the business from Kasia Keeley yeah. and uh, worked with her and the team uh, while she took on sort of broader uh, remit. And uh, as a result of that, you know, uh, had took on other roles like uh, Central and Eastern Europe, N- Russia, Northeastern Europe, emerging businesses. You know, I ran Africa, Middle East, Turkey, Greece. I mean, all over the all over the place. Um, and as a consequence of that, I was offered the role to move to Moscow and run, you know, the Russian team and and to expand the business there. So again. I'd, I'd been to moscow a few times with with business and i had a sense of it it was less like when i was going to japan where i had no idea what i was going in for at least with russia i had a pretty good idea and um i was i was very i actually really enjoy the russian uh business and industry so uh two years there i mean you know living there um it was very challenging for my husband i have to say
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um but um yeah we, when we finally came back to london that's when i made the the, the skip to Scripps because, you know, I was running out of roles at Discovery. I'd kind of done most of them.
0: <laughs> they came back for you though, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the irony, of course, when I moved to Scripps uh, and uh, and the deal was announced that we were being acquired by Discovery and uh, I, I needed to sit down with my former HR business partner and my former boss yeah. to discuss my future. So that, that, was, that was a very easy discussion because we knew each other so well.
0: Um- I mean, you've 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 headed up many teams um, and and businesses. Uh, you've worked in different territories. Any at any point did you did you feel daunted? Well, I mean, were there any challenges which you thought, "How the hell am I going to get through this one?" Most days, yeah.
1: <laughs> Most days, I think working in a, in a in a company like Discovery and having you know a, a chief exec and president like David Zaslav and JB Perret and Kasia Keeley, there's never a day where you can just sit down and, and enjoy. (laughs) Or if you do, it doesn't last long. There's always (laughs) something. Um, I think what we did learn is that you do need to literally schedule in time out to appreciate what you've achieved, celebrate your success because there's always another challenge coming. Um, uh, I think, I think my, the biggest challenge was, you know, while I was in Russia and, uh, and, and, you know, A, uh, we lost our license in um, in Minsk um, and uh, trying to work out what was going on there. So politically, uh, you're having lots of meetings with the government. Um, and then also in Russia, you know, the laws were changing because of all the sanctions and the, you know, the relationship between uh, Russia and, and America. Um I was there during a period where, you know, sanctions were imposed by both sides on each side. And, and as, as a consequence, you know, a lot of laws were introduced in Russia where there was a ban on advertising. Um, uh, the, uh I mean, a whole bunch of things. And we also, um, um, foreign ownership restrictions. So we ultimately had to sell 80% of the business to a Russian entity. So working through all of that, when you weren't, I mean, you weren't really clear what was going on or why it was going on or what the law actually said. And I remember having, you know, meetings with with you know senior management at Discovery um, that would come into Russia or though we'd have calls about what was going on. And lo- a lot of the time they would say, well what does the law say? And we're like, well, we could read it out to you, but you still wouldn't understand what it says because it's deliberately vague. Um, because you know ultimately the Russian government will interpret it as they see fit. And so that's when you realize that it's all about relationships and making sure that you understand what's really going on. You can't just say, well, the law says X, we're going to comply with that. Um, So it's really trying to get to the spirit of the law as opposed to just the wording of the law as well. So that was really challenging.
0: You mentioned uh, a lot of high profile names. Um, you know that that have been uh, consistent throughout throughout your career
1: didn't mean to be name dropping
0: (laughs) sorry (laughs) it was noted but um (laughs) any any two or three that that really stand out as being what you would define as mentors and and coaches through that time
1: uh, I think yes. Yeah, so uh, Danny Gilbert, um, when I was a lawyer at Gilbert and Tobin, I mean Danny and I are still in contact. Um, you know, okay, not not all the time, but occasionally we'll we'll sort of catch up with each other, either by email or a phone call, or we'll actually see each other in person. And I think Danny was always a huge inspiration because he actually set up Gilbert and Tobin as almost a protest at how boring law firms had become. Um, and he really wanted to reinvigorate uh, the industry, well, at least just to set up uh, an alternative, you know, a boutique firm that would really focus on client needs and give honest advice, not waste time, get to the hub of the matter quickly, use simple English. Um, so I learned a lot from him um, about just being different, you know, just dare to be different and be true to yourself. And I remember, you know, my initial drafts as a young lawyer. uh, You know, he asked me to prepare a draft advice for a client, and I remember him sitting down, sort of striking out most of it, just saying, "Why do you say we hereby enclose? Just say I enclose." (laughs) (laughs) And I I still find I, you know, my drafting is very Danny. Um, I draft things very simply, very efficiently. and i've learned a lot from that but also danny's passion um for the aboriginal cause you know he's he's a huge supporter of indigenous rights and he's still very active in lobbying the government and trying to create change and better a better society for the for the indigenous population and um very very true to himself in that respect and just does i mean he was so busy running the firm as managing partner of the of the firm and yet found time to take phone calls from the Aboriginal community when they'd lost a child or um, someone needed help. I mean, he would literally stop meetings and go and look after, you know, these Aboriginal children or take them into his home. And I just found it fascinating.
0: You mentioned diversity. Um, It's obviously a big topic uh, at the moment, given the events of the last 12 months. Something that always struck me about about your team at Scripps, and I've met many of them um, over, over the years, um, all all great at what they do, and all come a lot come from very diverse backgrounds, um, very different backgrounds. Is is that something that you were keen to engender in your own teams, diversity of thought and and um, different ways of doing things?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. I think it really came from you know the board i mean from ken lowe you know the the chief exec chairman and president um his hr team um uh was always you know really key um not only right across the the culture but on screen um uh as much as they could i mean it was interesting because you know their their target audience was probably really middle america but even then they were introducing a lot of sort of diverse talent but more so in you know in the employee um, pool we sort of actively made an effort to be more diverse and a more inclusive and I really felt it yeah I mean you could feel it uh, in in the in the in the offices um, uh, I mean every type of diversity people from different cultures backgrounds uh, wealth um, you know it, it was it was and actually it Constantly provided different perspectives, I and mean, it shouldn't be surprising, right? You're not getting echoed your own thoughts. Uh, people are daring to, uh, uh, you know, criticize or provide an alternative view. Or I mean, that was the other thing. It's not just diversity in what we would consider, you know, sexual um, uh, persuasion or um, uh, any, you know, racial. I mean, it's, some people were more uh, o- overt. Some people, you know introverted and just really appreciating the diversity of the human spirit and nature and, and getting all of everyone's opinion. So even if someone was very quiet in a meeting, just being a very aware that they didn't like to speak up in the meeting and making sure that, you know, we take their view on board in any event. So it was a great, it was a great culture and a great experience.
0: Looking, looking ahead, um, I mean, one thing's for sure, the, media, the world of media and entertainment never stands still. And uh, so much is, is is happening at the moment in terms of disruption, and uh, you know, streaming services being launched pretty much every every month. Um, how do you see the next twelve months within media and entertainment panning out?
1: Well, I think there there are so many services coming down the pipeline now that um, uh, I think we're all feeling it, right? That you you don't know how to find anything, um, or uh, how do you find, I mean, we don't have time to watch everything. That's I think we've, we've got a bit of FOMO happening um, that you know, I find a lot of my friends are talking about things I haven't seen, and I just have to accept that I'm probably never going to see them mm-hmm. because you just don't have time. But I think there's a great opportunity for aggregation. Um, and there's uh, several services uh, being launched at the moment where they are sort of pro- providing a filter or an overarching, sort of uh, um, discovery process. so curation and discovery on top of all of these uh, services. So there's a couple um, that uh, like um, I think it's called Stroom, is it they I yeah. think originally it was TV pass, but uh, Stroom is you know really looking at that sort of next level down from from the Netflix, Amazon, just Disney, uh, and trying to sort of aggregate uh, all of those sort of uh, middle-sized uh, streaming service. And I think there's a definite need for that. And I, I, I understand there are a few others out there like that as well. Um, Must, another one here in the UK. Must is, is probably a different model where they're not seeking to integrate uh, the content, but actually provide you know a, a filter across the top to help you navigate and, and recommend. Um, and of course, consolidation will continue. Um, there's a lot of M&A activity, and that will continue. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to visualize where we're going to be in a year's time because things are happening so quickly. Yeah.
0: It's still, still an industry that you want to be involved with. I mean, if, if, if you were a young Philip Luff again, is it, is it an industry that you'd be looking to be a part of?
1: I think definitely, definitely. I mean, I, that's why I think I was very lucky. I, I started off as a lawyer in, in one area of law, which was construction litigation. And I, I hated it. Um, I quit. And it was really only when I sat down with a, a recruiter um, who said to me, well, what, what, what interests you? Um, and I said, well, I love, I love television. And uh, she said, well, you know, why don't you focus on that side of the law? You know, intellectual property, copyright, um, media, arts, entertainment. And so, you know, marrying the two together was was a perfect st- scenario for me. So the work that I'm doing at the moment is kind of a combination of that as well. You know, um, my work with Marquee TV, I love performing arts. Uh, and so combining performing arts, my, my media background and streaming um, it's, it's, I love every day. Um, and, you know, working with water bear network, you know, their, their mission is to help, you know, save the planet, uh, which is a huge, uh, mission. Um, but ultimately I think they are making inroads into that and raising awareness, um, you know, driving forward and doing as much as they can to support that cause
0: purpose and passion.
1: Hmm. I think it's critical. Absolutely yeah. critical. I think that's where we find some companies may fall by the wayside. They just don't have that clear purpose. And I think you absolutely need that clear clarity of purpose um, to attract people who, who will want to work with you, but also from a consumer point of view, um, to navigate and to attract you know the right audiences.
0: Philip, it's been great chatting. Thanks so much for being guest number one.
1: It's a pleasure. No, thank you very much, Bambos. Look forward to seeing you in real life.
0: Absolutely. See ya. And thanks to you for listening. Please don't forget to like, subscribe and follow to keep up to date with future episodes of Career Stories.